Hi and welcome back to Dissecting Dexter. Not so long since the last one, so there's something. I'm Gareth Watkins, coming to you from East Yorkshire, England, and at first, quick apology, I'm full of cold, so if I sound bunged up and throaty, it's because I am, so uh, sorry about that. How are you all doing? Uh, I, I see the eastern USA has suffered a lot of heavy snow since I last spoke to you. I hope it's not caused you too many problems. We've been doing okay here lately for a change so so for a change I, I can't whinge about our weather but there are signs of spring being on the way and that really is something to be happy about I'm not a fan of winter really and we've had enough cold weather before Christmas to last the whole season so I won't be sorry when it's over this week I've made an attempt to expand my autograph collection. Yep, I have an autograph collection. Mostly actors and actresses, but a few directors, numerous British sports people from the early 90s, plus Elton John. I've got collections within my collection too, where I've concentrated on certain films or TV shows. I've got lots of signatures from the HBO series Deadwood and Rome, I've got a lot of Star Trek, and the one I'm most proud of, I've got a big collection of people who've starred in the films by the Coen brothers, including a photo signed by the brothers themselves. I'm a huge Coen brothers fan. I even named my youngest son Ethan after one of them. My collection was all online, but I've just checked and the site isn't working. I'd have given you the URL otherwise, so you could have a look. Anyway, I've not written to anyone for their autograph for about three years. But when I saw that Jennifer Carpenter and David Zayas, see, I've brought it back to Dexter. <laughs> when I saw they were both in plays this month, I thought, now that's a good opportunity to try for their autographs. I've heard that Jennifer has been responding through the mail from the theatre, so I'm fairly optimistic there. And while I was at it, I've also written to Johnny Lee Miller and Michael C. Hall himself. Miller is in a play in London, while I've written to Hall, care of his management agency in New York. I'll let you know if I get any replies. Wish me luck. In other news, I've received my copy of The Psychology of Dexter. I mentioned it last time, after listener Sandy recommended it, and it really is a good book. If you're into dissecting the character of Dexter anywhere near as much as I am, you'll love this book. It's a series of essays examining all aspects of the character. I will say, though, that it refers to events in the show up to season four, so be aware of that if you get the book and haven't seen to the end of season four. You can get it on eBay or Amazon and probably other places too, but it is an American publication, so I don't know if you'll find it on the shelves of bookshops outside the US. It's by Bella de Paolo, and it's called The Psychology of Dexter. Well worth parting with $10 or so. Actually, as I was preparing this latest podcast, I looked the book up on Amazon and discovered another book based on Dexter. It's called Dexter Investigating Cutting-Edge Television by Douglas Howard. It has an episode guide for the first three seasons. It's got a variety of essays on aspects of the show and an interview with Jeff Lindsay, who, of course, created the character of Dexter in his novels. Have any of you read this one? I'd be tempted to get it, but there aren't any reviews on Amazon, so I may keep my money in my pocket just for now. Right, so <laughs> let's bring this marathon introduction to a close by getting back to the matter in hand. Dexter Season 1, Episode 8. 
entitled Shrink Wrap. I love the double meaning of this title, but that'll become clear as you watch the episode, although if you're listening to this, I dare say you already have, in which case you know what I mean, and I'm wasting a few, uh, a few precious seconds of your valuable listening time. <sighs> Sorry, send invoices to Dissecting Dexter HQ East Yorkshire, England. So, Shrink Wrap, original air date. 19th of November 2006, written by Lauren Gussis, who gets her second full writing credit. She later becomes a producer of the show. The director of this episode is Tony Goldwyn, directing his second episode of the season. You'll know him better as the bad guy in the film Ghost. Whoops, spoiler alert for Ghost there. Okay, episode review time. Hooray! Giggle early on. We join Dexter and Batista surveying a murder scene by torchlight. Blood spattered all over the walls and they're they're doing the thing regular folks sometimes do with clouds. Making well sort of imagining pictures out of them. Batista sees two clowns dancing while Dexter sees a lobster. Batista asks him why bloodstains always look like crustaceans to him. Dexter just says, I like seafood. Of course. <laughs> it's nothing significant for the plot, but it's another moment when police make light at crime scenes. Make a little joke, it lifts the mood. I can't remember if I've said this on this podcast before. I may have done on the one I did with Donald and Heath back in September, I can't remember. But I've read how police will do this at crime scenes as a way of distancing themselves from the horrible events that they're seeing evidence of. It's a kind of defence mechanism, helps prevent the darkness from overcoming them. The light goes on and we see a dead woman in the bathtub. Bloody water, and it looks like she's shot herself in the head. Batista mentions how they closed a couple of suicide cases just like this one last year. The woman today was some high-flying lawyer, and we learn that the last suicides were also power women. And you can see on Dexter's face the cogs are whirring and his mind is racing. Note to self, he muses. <laughs> Looks like he has some homework to do. Uh, Dokes talks to the husband who's convinced that the, uh, that the wife was killed by one of the guys she put away. Outside, Rudy drops off Deb at the scene and they're all lovey-dovey in the car. Uh, but Deb gets out of the car and Dokes chides her for being late. Morgan, what took you so long? Playing hide the salami with Mr. Prosthetics. I don't fucking tell. Since when? We go inside, I'm kind of wet. Don't. Masuka and Deb, they do get these funny little moments together, usually centred on Masuka's filthy mind, but we wouldn't have him any other way, would we? They speculate the husband could be involved with the death. It's always the husband, Deb says. Cut to Rita's house, and Dexter finds Paul there. The new amicable arrangement with Rita. He's there, but under the eye of a court supervisor, although he says he appreciates the extra time with the kids. Paul calmly goes on to apologise for how things went last time they met, and he says he regrets going all alpha male on him, but what are you supposed to say to the guy who, and I quote, is effing your wife while you're in jail? You can see... Dex isn't too sure how to take that, but thankfully, in comes Rita. But you can't help but think Paul isn't entirely happy about Dexter being around. 
and the cockfight is quickly established now. The, the uh, kids rush in and Dexter announces he has hot chocolate. However, they reveal that their dad has already made them some. Rita says she'll have one of Dexter's and Paul makes a remark about her taking two because he's got extra. Dexter picks up on the comment but says nothing. This must surely be totally uncharted territory for him. He's never been in this sort of... This, put my teeth back in? How often does that happen? <laughs> He's never been in this sort of situation before and probably has little or no idea how to best handle it. Does anyone else want to slap Paul yet? If not, I'm sure it won't be long. Next day, Dex is at the office, looking at photos of the three dead women, noting the connection of all of them being powerful women, all apparently dead by self-inflicted gunshot. He seems keen to delve deeper and see if there are any more connections. Remember in the pilot, Dexter had great discomfort at some overt flirting from LaGuerta. It didn't get revisited again, did it? Until now. She creeps up on him and leans in close, asking about him looking at the suicide photos. Morbid curiosity, he says. Then, when he asks what he can do for her, and she says, So many things... Oh, God. <laughs> but actually, she's after the blood spatter report from the bathtub girl. Dexter says there's nothing special about the report, and he wishes he had more for her. And LaGuerta says, mm, me too, and gives him a sultry look. Dexter, run! <laughs> Luckily, Captain Matthews breaks up the moment to say the DA needs some paperwork for the ice truck killer case. He mentions he had dinner with the DA and the mayor the night before and rubs it in a bit. LaGuerta, of course, is quite rightly pissed off and mutters something in Spanish. Matthew's getting all the credit for her team's hard work. Did anyone who speaks Spanish catch the words she said and can maybe translate? Anyway, Dexter reassures her it'll be Matthew's looking silly in the end. Dexter, of course, knows for a fact Neil Perry isn't the one, but can't reveal how he knows it. Dexter thinks the real killer will strike again, eventually, but LaGuerta isn't so sure. She thinks if Perry isn't the one, then the real killer will use him as his ticket to freedom. He'll let Perry take the fall and quietly go to ground. Dexter looks disappointed at this prospect. Personally, at this point, I thought that the killer has played with Dexter enough already that even if he doesn't kill again, the game would still be on. Dexter mulls it over and thinks maybe he shouldn't worry too much, but decides a new adversary would clear his head. And he sets about looking into the bathtub suicide cases and very quickly finds a link. All three women were seeing the same therapist, a Dr. Emmett Meridian. Dexter muses that he must be terrible at his job, and the sarcasm is obvious. Dexter decides to book a session and see if he can work some reverse psychology. Ooh, I can't wait. Dexter's great at getting into a target's head. Lying seems to come very easily to him, something psychologists will say is one of the primary characteristics of a psychopath. So, enter Dr Meridian, played by Tony Goldwyn, who directs this episode, and you may recognise him from the film Ghost. What brought you here? A friend of mine died. She killed herself. I need to understand why. How come? She had everything going for her. It doesn't make sense. To some people, death makes perfect sense. Life. Now that's the puzzle. Like you, Sean. What really brought you here? I just told you I came here. Talk about your friend's suicide, I know. I think you're using the suicide tale as an excuse to come see me. 
you're absolutely right. How could you tell? I'm sensing you do it a lot to keep the world at arm's length. And what are my real intentions? As soon as I pay for my lunch, you're going to tell me that. Excuse me a sec. Judging from what I've seen so far, I probably will. This guy's good. So why do his patients keep dying? This guy is good. Dexter will have to tread carefully so as not to reveal his hand. But why indeed, if this guy is so good, why do his patients keep dying? While Meridian's out of the room, Dexter takes a quick look at his diary to see if it sheds any light on where he was at the time of the latest supposed suicide. He finds Meridian had a session with someone called Scott Solomon, and he wonders if Scott kept the appointment. Meridian comes back in, and the conversation they have is fascinating. Very quickly, he effortlessly gets Dexter to talk, and he comes out with some pretty honest stuff. The question that kicks it off is whether Dexter or Sean, as Dexter told him his name is, whether he's ever been close to anyone. Dexter says he was close to his foster father, and Meridian asks, what sort of stuff did you do together? Dexter says, oh, normal father-son stuff, and we cut to a flashback. Harry gets jumped by a man in a mask and starts to get strangled. Harry tells him to stop, and when the mask comes off, we see it's teenage Dexter, who's looking very pleased with himself. <laughs> normal father-son stuff. A police officer is training his adopted son to skillfully jump and incapacitate people. <laughs> Young Dexter says, I won. This isn't a game, Dexter. No, I, I, I know. It's not supposed to be fun. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's just... Do you think I, I want to teach you these things? This is the only way I know how to keep you out of an electric chair. This is about survival, Dex. Nothing else. Got it? the only way he knows to keep him from the electric chair. I can think of another way. How about therapy for a deeply traumatised young man? Just a thought, but maybe one that should have occurred to him and maybe saved a few lives. Harry here is training Dexter, nurturing the killer monster he believes is inside him. He's doing it in good faith, I'm sure. He doesn't want Dexter to come to any harm, of course not. But is he seriously misguided? Perhaps we'll learn a lot more about their relationship in due course. We cut to the prison, and LaGuardia is visiting, visiting Neil Perry, and she tells him that the evidence doesn't all tie up. She mentions the lozenge wrapper they found at the hospital, the one with the partial print, if you remember. Turns out the print doesn't match Perry's. He tries to explain it away, but LaGuardia deserves credit here. She's rightly taking care to make sure they've got the right guy. She wants a conviction, and doesn't want the case falling down on one detail. She doesn't always take such care in the show, but I do wonder if part of her motivation is to prove Perry's not the one and then be able to stick it to Captain Matthews. She plays a crafty game here, pulling Perry's strings, and she scores a lot of points in my book. We've been down on her a bit, but she redeems herself again here. Perry seems to want infamy and wants a reporter to interview him for a front-page spread. LaGuardia says he's not allowed to talk to the press until after the trial, but he tells her that if she wants his cooperation to get the conviction, she'll have to find a way. Meanwhile, Dexter's getting a bit twitchy. Twitchy that he's not heard from his friend, the ice truck killer, for a while, and he leaves an ad on a Miami sort of personal connections website. Next thing, we see him jogging along, but it's set up 
to, uh, well, he wants to try and meet Scott Solomon, which he does, but it turns out Scott kept his appointment and thereby gives Meridian an alibi for the time of that woman's death. Dexter realises he needs to make another appointment, but there's a funny line in there when Scott asks Dexter if he finds his sessions with Meridian very useful, and Dexter says, I'm a sociopath, there's not much you can do for me. Nice line, and it was readily apparent that Scott took a shine to him. We cut to some pretty noisy bedroom antics, as Deb and Rudy make the beast with two backs. When they're done, Rudy goes over her anatomy, referring to loving her arms and legs, saying he couldn't have made her better himself. Kind of an odd thing to say, but I guess we can roll with it. He is a, a prosthetic specialist, after all. The subsequent conversation is a bit slushy, but important for Deb. She says she's used to just fucking, but with Rudy it feels different. The short of it is that it seems they're properly falling for each other, which is nice and obviously unusual territory for Deb. She does have this guard up around her, and although she never seems to want for sex, it's the next level, actually letting someone in. That's the bit she finds harder. And she's visibly moved in this scene, bless her. Next day, Rita takes the kids to the park for a visit with Paul, only to discover the court chaperone cancelled, yet he still turned up. She's not happy, and he tries to encourage her to stay and have some proper family time. She was due to meet Dexter for lunch, but she re reluctantly agrees to stay. Paul's really pleased and nice about it, and Rita gives a little smile. Has she forgotten what this guy used to do to her? Is she softening towards him? I guess she's putting the kids first. But back with Dexter. He's looking through the responses to his personal ad, one that played on the Ken Barbie thing, like the doll left in his fridge. Nothing doing, though, unless Dexter wanted to perform some fellatio. Masuka comes in with the results from the bathtub girl's autopsy. Everything points to suicide, it seems. Looks like case closed, but not for Dexter, of course. He goes back to see Meridian again. And what we get is a well-written scene with some good dialogue. Dexter playing a game of sorts, trying to probe Meridian for something to implicate him. He talks about people who are fakes, wolves in sheep's clothing, and suggests that Meridian is one. Maybe trying to provoke a reaction. The shrink, well, he takes no offence, and while they talk, Dexter notices a camera hidden on a bookshelf. But they carry on and Meridian asks him about his job. Dexter's honest to a degree, still under a false name, but he says he analyses blood spatter but hates blood and is frustrated with his work. Meridian asks about Dexter's girlfriend and when Dexter says she cancelled lunch with him to be with her ex-husband, Meridian says that a lot of things are out of your control right now. He says no wonder he cuts himself off from his emotions and he never has to feel powerless. <laughs> it's uncanny how perceptive this guy is. Like Dexter said earlier, he's good. He suggests Dexter accepts that certain things are out of his hands and to let go. For the second time during these therapy sessions, we go to a flashback of teenage Dexter. Looks like he's at school, and a bully gives him some verbal and knocks a drink out of his hands. Later, he talks to Harry about it, says he wants to kill him. Harry said he's proud that he walked away from it, but Dexter says he still wants to kill him. When's that going to go away? And we cut back to Dexter. Clearly these sessions are bringing old memories back to him. And there's a plane going over. <laughs> Sorry about that.
it'll be ironic if these sessions, which, let's face it, Dexter's only attending in order to find out if Meridian is a murderer, but it'd be ironic if they ended up helping him in some, in some way. Cut to the prison next, and Perry concludes his interview with the journalist. LaGuerta comes in ready to crack on, but Perry's onto her. He realised the journalist was a fake. Perry's in the mood for games, though, and he seems to know a lot about LaGuerta's history, which catches her off guard. I found out how you got promoted. Back when you and Sergeant Dokes were still partners, Dokes got the drop on a major coke dealer, brought you along for the ride. How did you when the perp failed from a third-story apartment, Dokes took the fire escape and sent you to cover the stairs, just in case. Only you got lucky, and you made the headline grab, and so the legend began. I wonder if Dokes would have made a good lieutenant. I deserved that promotion. Oh, I'm sure you did. It was a big bust. Not as big as catching me, of course, but uh, let's be honest. You didn't catch me. Your captain did. At least that's what they're saying on the news. How does he know all this stuff? He knows the buttons to push. It's a nice performance by Lauren Velez and Sam Witwer, who plays Perry. He seems to relish playing this guy. Witwer, incidentally, can also be seen in the US version of Being Human, alongside fellow Dexter alum Mark Pellegrino. He's also had recurring roles in Smallville and Battlestar Galactica. But back to Dexter, who breaks into Meridian's office, determined to find something, well, something incriminating to tie him to at least one of those three women. He traces the camera cable to a laptop and finds video footage of at least one of the dead women. The video shows one of them asking for more antidepressants. Meridian can be heard saying no. In subsequent clips, the women are sounding more desperate, contemplating suicide. Meridian is heard almost encouraging them, saying how revered suicide is, and suggesting the best way to do it. Dexter observes how, when these women most needed his help, Meridian just suggested they end it all. Dexter realises Meridian got these women hooked on antidepressants and then took them away and filled their heads with thoughts of noble suicide. That's all quite enough for Dexter, but his phone interrupts him, another text from Rita, and it sounds urgent. He goes round and finds her wearing not very much, and she plants a kiss on him, apologising for missing lunch. She seems quite exhilarated and explains that she realises how much she appreciates her new life, the one after Paul. She feels in control of things and credits Dexter. Seduction soon follows, but it rattles Dexter and he panics. This is a disaster. I chose Rita because she was damaged. If she gets better, I'll lose her for sure. I'm ready, Dexter. Oh. I don't know what I've been so afraid of. You're the perfect boyfriend. Oh. I want you to spend the night, for real. Mm. Mm. I'm so sorry. I came over here because I thought something was wrong. But tonight's really not a good night. 
Right in the middle of the case. I'm way too distracted. Now? It's so late. That's all the more reason to get back to work. The clock's ticking. I'll call you tomorrow. Okay. I can't have sex with Rita. Every time I sleep with a woman, she sees me for what I really am. Empty. And then she's gone. But I don't want Rita to go. Which means I have to deal with this. I can't kill Meridian yet. I need another therapy session. Oh, the irony at the end there. But poor Rita. Didn't you feel sorry for her? She's feeling liberated. She's accepted the way things are and she's letting go and moving on. Something Meridian encouraged Dexter to do. Or or something very similar. So, she's feeling liberated, coming out of this terribly abusive marriage, finding her new self with Dexter and taking this big step of getting sexual with him. And how pathetic was Dexter? He couldn't get out of there fast enough, could he? I mean... We understand why, but it leaves Rita wondering. He's so afraid of sex, or, moreover, just afraid of getting that close to someone than maybe afraid of the act itself, although his experience in that department is surely limited at best. At this point, we see that the relationship with Rita is just serving as cover for him. Any, and I want to say affection, but that probably isn't the right word for Dexter, any connection he has with her or the kids is perhaps purely coincidental it's it's such a shame he's on the cusp of something really rewarding on so many levels but he's just blinkered to the potential and obsessed with maintaining his defenses keeping his cover staying undiscovered so next day deb goes to visit rudy at the hospital He says he wants to take a cast of her legs to make a prosthetic pair for a woman who lost both of her legs. It comes out that Deb hasn't told anyone about their relationship and we get a little more insight into Deb's psyche. She just needs reassurance really and Rudy provides it. It it is, it's nice to see her happy. Next, we see her in the police office, full of beans, telling everyone she's just been bonking her boyfriend. So I guess that reassurance worked then. LaGuerta calls Dokes into her office. She's concerned that he told someone about the bus that got her promoted, the one Perry knew about. Dokes says no, it would have looked bad for both of them if he'd whinged about it. I do like Dokes. LaGuerta thinks the only way anyone would know about it is if if they've read the actual report. And now she's concerned about the network security, as if Perry might have hacked in and read files. We join Dexter back with Meridian. He's talking about running away from Rita's attempted seduction. Meridian says it's because he's afraid if he lets someone that close, they won't like what they see. He's spot on again, isn't he? We've got almost a like a Sopranos thing going here. Remember, if you've seen Sopranos, uh, Tony Soprano going to therapy. It was a mainstay of that show and it gave us some real insight into the mindset of the boss of an organised crime family. There'd certainly be mileage for us as viewers in keeping Meridian around to reveal more about Dexter's mindset. So, Dexter asks how he can change. 
Well, for starters, you accept the fact that we all have a big, bad wolf hiding inside of us. The darkness we don't want anyone else to see. Do you? Of course I do. Really? Mm-hmm. How do you deal with your wolf? Well, first of all, I accepted that it was there. I made friends with it. And now I just let it out for a big meal once in a while. At least three times that we know about. Meridian concludes by saying that the minute you start to accept who you are, you might feel free enough to share that intimacy together. And you can see on Dex's face that this is serious food for thought. Meridian then goes and turns the light off to perform a relaxation technique. See if it'll help bring back some hidden memories for Dexter, who's, well, he's looking a little disconcerted now. He has to shut his eyes and breathe deeply. He's told to think of a time when he felt completely powerless. And Dexter drifts to a flashback at school, being bullied. There are some quick edits between moments. He's carrying a knife and approaching the bully. Harry stops him, telling him, if he loses control, it's over. There are consequences to everything he does in life. There are flashes to even earlier in his life, before there's a startling image of a small boy, red spattered, sitting in a pool of blood, crying. Was that Dexter? He sits up with a start, opens his eyes. He's obviously disturbed by what he just saw. He needs to get out of there, and of course Meridian jumps on that, realising something was stirred up, but Dexter's out of there. Now, what the hell was that? Was that a memory of Dexter's? Was the boy Dexter sitting in a pool of blood? If it was, that's some potentially seriously traumatic stuff to screw with a young child and could account for a lot. But what does he do to deal with this shock? <laughs> he rushes to Rita's house with a very dark look on his face and he grabs her for some not entirely tender sex. I guess Meridian was right. Accept who you are, and you can start opening up to intimacy. But has Dexter accepted who he is now? Next morning, Dexter sits up in Rita's bed, and she thinks he's being sweet, leaving before the kids get up and leaving them with some awkward questions. She says next time they'll think of something to tell them. Dexter's a bit surprised that she thinks there'll be a next time, and is surprised he didn't freak her out. She says there's nothing he can do that would scare her. Oh, how little she knows. But I'm sure we'll all agree there's no indication whatsoever that Dexter would ever hurt Rita or the kids. That's been well established now that while he is a killer, he doesn't hurt the innocent. So, big moment there for Dexter, and Rita for that matter, the consummation of their relationship. Big steps for both of them. And thanks to Dr Meridian, someone Dexter could well be about to kill. Cut to Neil Perry in the prison. LaGuerta comes in, carrying an icebox. She presents him with a severed head. Mm, lovely. Saying she wants his expert opinion. And Perry basically, from here on, falls apart and ends up a snivelling wreck. Nice play by LaGuerta. She's exposed Perry's deception, revealing him as the fraud that she suspected he was. And that Dexter was pretty certain he was. And in the process, she can now stick it to Matthews and score one back. Of course, she's going to savour that moment, isn't she? So, in the sit-down with Matthews, she explains that Perry has withdrawn his confession, so the trial can't go ahead. But Matthews isn't too phased by it, or certainly not outwardly. They want to proceed, 
and so Laguerta's moment is put off for a while. Maybe she'll still get it when Perry is found not guilty. Next, though, we join Dexter, who's in another session with Meridian, who's chuffed to hear Dexter spent the night as his girlfriend's. He says how this is a breakthrough. Dexter says he's surprised because he never thought he'd get any- anything out of these sessions. And we know this is true. His motivation for attending was to research his potential victim. But he goes on. I'm a serial killer. Oh, God. Oh, oh, that feels so amazing to say out loud. Well, you must be letting go because I've never heard you make a joke before. I'm not joking. I kill people. There it is again. You should try it. I know. Your big bad wolf is racked up a tidy little death toll. I'm just kidding. I disabled the cameras and I copied the files. I don't know what you're talking about. Focus on your breathing. Maybe you remember Megan, Carolyn, Vanessa. Those sessions are confidential. I'm a control freak. I know. But I watched your home movies. It's amazing stuff. Drugs, guns, and a crazy psychiatrist. No wonder you're so well-versed in control issues. You've got quite the god complex. This session's over. Dexter gets Meridian in a chokehold and knocks him out. And before you can say, guy from Ghost Naked, covered in shrink wrap, we see that guy from Ghost Naked, covered in shrink wrap. I did like uh, Michael C. Hall's performance there, when he feels, he, he has this release and relief that he's admitted he's a serial killer to somebody. That was good. It looks like the kill table's set up in Meridian's office. Dexter goes into the little conversation he always does before the kill. He's wondering why Meridian just chose powerful women, but admits he's a little conflicted about doing this because Meridian helped him make a major self-discovery. And it's true. It really makes you wonder. It makes you wonder what, what might have been possible if Dexter had had therapy when he was a lot younger. Yeah, just think on that. Dexter takes his usual blood slide and observes to Meridian that him being a killer is something he can't control. He says he helped him accept what he really is, but he was raised with a certain set of principles. And here he's making, of course, a direct reference to the guidelines that Harry laid out for him to help him stay undiscovered and kill only those who fit certain criteria. And that's the end of Meridian. We fade to the final scene of the episode. Deborah is in her bra, dancing about in her bedroom, singing into a trophy. Yeah, it's all a bit cringeworthy, but she's obviously feeling on top of the world, so I won't knock her. Rudy rings to say he's going to be late to meet her. We stay with Rudy after they hang up, and we get a revelation as we see him replying to Dexter's personal ad. A headless doll lying beside his laptop. Looks like the one Dexter had in his fridge. He then goes into a cold store. Funny apartment he has there with a freezer unit instead of a utility room. But in he goes, and do we see body parts all neatly wrapped up, ready to go. And we fade to black as the ice truck killer gets to work. Did you see that coming? We should have really, shouldn't we? Rewatching this now, as I am, part of me feels I should have guessed it 
first time I saw it. But at the same time, it wouldn't be unusual for the killer to be someone we didn't know. Not unusual for a TV series. But knowing the show of Dexter as I do now, it's pretty obvious really, but poor Deb. Looks like she's been seriously strung along and used by this guy purely to get closer to Dexter. I've mentioned the word psychopath before, but it looks like this guy fits the bill more than Dexter. He seems to tick more of the boxes. But what's his motivation? To be revealed, I'm sure. This was another strong episode, with more major plot development and some good character stuff for Dexter, with us getting little hints of reveals to come. That image of the boy sitting in a pool of blood, that's the biggie. Was that Dexter? We're to presume so, but what the bloody hell was going on there? So, lots of talking points. Let's hear what you guys thought. Listener feedback. If you want to get in touch with the podcast, you can. Email is dissectingdexter at gmail.com or Twitter at dissectdexter or the listener lines. In the US, it's 206-337-4817. And in the UK, it's 0844-579-6949. And enter mailbox ID 08320. Right, so, emails. First up, Barbara from New York reports a few points on episode 8, Shrink Rat, which she thought was a brilliant name. And uh, indeed it was, I enjoyed that one. Uh, Point one, I loved how the psychiatrist was not only Dexter's next victim, but that he did some very good therapy with Dex. Great writing. Point two, Rita's phone calls to Dexter are always funny, if not annoying, because he's usually in the middle of a hunt when she calls. Three, in general, however, I don't care for Rita. For one thing, she ruins all the fun. I know that sounds awful. And for another, she's very needy. Of course, Dexter started dating her precisely because she was damaged, so... Be careful what you wish for. But just the same, ugh, what a pain in the ass. I imagine many people will disagree with me with my dislike of Rita, but I suppose that's why there are menus in restaurants. Haha. <laughs> Point four. LaGuerta really gave it to that creepy wannabe serial killer, Neil Perry. I loved how she forced it out of him that he's not the killer by pushing a decapitated head in his face. Then she made a half-hearted effort to inform her captain that they had the wrong guy, but let it drop, hoping he'd hang himself with his own hubris noose. And finally, this is point five, speaking of Neil Perry, thank God he's not Dexter's pal and hero. But what a shock it was to learn that Deborah's knight in shiny armour is. Poor Deb. I suppose it's spoiler-safe to say at this point how much fun it was to see Rudy make his early innocent appearances in season one. Well, that's about it. Again, your podcasts are delightful and I hope you keep them going. Thanks for all your hard work. Thanks, Barbara. Good to hear from you again. Uh, yeah, some um, you, you pick out some uh, some good highlights from the episode. Uh, in my review, I, I did give that, that those scenes between LaGuerta and Perry a lot of credit. Uh, I think both actors uh, gave good performances and the character of LaGuerta comes out with a lot of credit. You could cynically question her motivation as to whether... Because um, we know that she likes... She does like to make the bust. Uh, from what we've seen of her, she's she's been a bit unscrupulous, hasn't she? Hasn't she? So you could question whether she's more one for the numbers and is any bust better than no bust at all. So obviously Captain Matthews had seriously pissed her off and trodden on her toes, uh, questioned her... her, her 
career ethics and and whatnot. He'd he'd really um, given it to her, isn't it? Well, <laughs> pardon the expression, questioning her integrity and so on. And um, fair enough, her integrity has certainly been questioned. But she was making efforts there to ensure that uh, the wrong guy didn't go down for the ice truck killer. All right, um, Neil Perry's a prick, but the real ice truck killer is still out there, and she had realised that. So, uh, so yeah, credit to her there. And she, as I said, she played it really well, uh, manipulating Perry. Um, I mean, he was trying to pull her strings, but... Uh, at the end of it, she was more than his equal, so well done. Uh, Barbara, you mentioned the uh, the therapy that Dexter got. Obviously, Dexter didn't go into those sessions with... What, oh, sorry, the initial session with Meridian with the intention of receiving therapy, but it turned into that. And uh, as, as he pointed out, he, he made a major self-discovery. It would have been interesting if we'd had some more sessions if Dexter had perhaps put off um, his, uh, his his killing of Meridian for a bit longer and maybe gone to a few more sessions. Uh, clearly, in just a short space of time, he had made major progress and he acknowledged that. So perhaps for his own benefit, he might have strung that out a bit longer um, and, uh, and maybe got, got a bit more out of it. But... Um, I don't know, I guess ultimately the kill was was more important to him. But what was significant to me, as I touched on in my review, is that, well, this this serial killer, I, I'm, I'm hovering, <laughs> I want to use the word psychopath, and at this point in the show, he seems to be. But here, okay, let's call him a psychopath. Um, we can debate whether or not he, he, strictly speaking, is a psychopath. He's certainly shown psychopathic tendencies, shall we say. But he's, he's made progress at this late stage in his development into that role as a serial killer. We've seen from the flashbacks that these tendencies were exhibiting themselves early on in his life, and which obviously Harry picked up on and nurtured them and tried to channel them. But... The big thing is, had Dexter received that therapy at an early age, would he have avoided this road? Would he have avoided needing to kill anybody? That's a big thing to contemplate. And the book that I've mentioned and Sandy mentioned last time, The Psychology of Dexter, it goes into a lot of detail and discussion about this very thing, amongst other topics relating to Dexter. But this is a big aspect of, of the book. And I'd like to talk about it more, but um, I might save further discussion on that perhaps until the end of this season uh, to explore that a bit more and maybe um, directly discuss some of the uh, topics raised in the book, um, although still trying to keep it spoiler-free from later seasons. Um, OK, uh, thanks, Barbara. Let's move along. Uh, April from Philadelphia has uh, left a blog comment just to say I really enjoy your podcast and agree with other comments that because you are speaking as a person who truly loves the show and wants to talk about it as opposed to other podcasts with glitz and radio voices and commercials even I actually enjoy when you talk about your life and the weather and even mention the kids it's just like talking to a friend about one of the best shows on the air 
I'm eager to listen to the reviewing podcasts. Thanks for what you do. Thanks, April. I'm glad you enjoy what I do and uh, and that you appreciate some of the, um, I guess, some of the irrelevant <laughs> non-Dexter chit-chat that I sometimes throw in. I am kind of aiming for that feel of the podcast, that it's it's informal. I am, first and foremost, a fan of Dexter. I'm a fan of the show. I'm not an expert. I'm not a psychologist. I just enjoy the show and I like to talk about it. So um, I, I, that's that's the level I'm aiming for. So, yeah, thanks for the comment, April. Uh, Matt Humphrey dropped me a line, uh, just agreeing with my assessment of Paul's haircut being a bit 70s. And uh, Matt mentions someone's hair in season two. Someone who also has a very, and he says, uh, I think his words were, a pretty spiffy 70s hairstyle. Um, but obviously we won't, won't go into that because that's season two stuff, but... Um, I'm glad someone else picked up on Paul's hair being a bit retro. Tom in Poland emails in and says, I regret that I didn't manage to contribute to the show for episode 7. Just couldn't catch up with re-watching. I got taken by six feet under and really enjoyed it. But from now on, I surely won't miss any opportunity to write. That's good to know, Tom. Thanks. Uh, Tom goes on. Rewatching season 1 is quite enjoyable. You see a lot more details. Get another look at some things now that you know what's going to happen. And doing it along with your podcast is just great. Now on to my thoughts on episode 8. Maybe a little chaotic. 1. I thoroughly enjoyed the thing with Meridian. Dexter's sessions with him were fascinating, especially that last one. i got to say, I was hoping for the therapist to have a talk with Dexter before he kills him, but that didn't happen. Slightly disappointing. 2. Earlier in the episode, we hear Dexter saying that he couldn't sleep with Rita, because every time he does that with a woman, she sees he's empty. I'm not sure, but is it the first confirmation he had sex ever before? I was under the impression that he was a virgin, and I don't think there would be anything wrong about it. 3. We finally get the identity of the ice truck killer. Bad nickname. This time, it wasn't a shock, of course, but when I was watching this for the first time, I was truly surprised. You can already see how devastated Deb would be if she finds out. As we see, she cares deeply for Rudy. Thanks, Tom. Yeah, it it, it wasn't a shock, obviously, watching it second time. But um, first time round, I'm with you. It was it was a surprise. And, of course, Deb is indeed going to be gutted if and when she finds out. Dexter saying he couldn't sleep with Rita. I think... I've, and I've not gone back and... Um, Rewatch the scene after reading your comment. I should have done, perhaps. I think he said something along the lines of every time he gets close to a woman um, or in danger of getting close. I don't know if he actually... I don't think he actually said he'd had sex with somebody, uh, but moreover said getting close. Um, but um, perhaps someone will put me right on that. And maybe after I've recorded this, I'll go back and look and then regret not um, not researching my response sooner. Uh, your comments about Meridian, yeah, they were fascinating. And indeed, uh, when Dexter was asking that question about why Meridian chose power women, uh, he never removed Meridian's gag for an answer. And as we know, Dexter's MO is to um, have a chat with his victim prior to killing them. Obviously, Dexter had already confirmed that Meridian was the one, but he does usually like to have the victim uh, confess uh, or ad admit it themselves. 
So there was a slight variation in his uh, method there. But, you know, it's been documented how serial killers' MO uh, does evolve over time and um, maybe we're still seeing refinements here. And let us not forget that he incapacitated Meridian with a chokehold and not a syringe of M99. Um, so, again, another slight deviation from his, uh, from his MO that we're accustomed to. Sandy in Seattle has emailed back to say, thanks for reading my email on your episode 7 recap. I'm so excited that you ordered the Psychology of Dexter. I've since finished it and loved it. It provided interesting insight into not only Dexter, but the other characters as well, and even the audience. What makes us sympathise with and root for and love a serial killer? I was especially thrilled with the essays that address that very question. On a side note, I've so enjoyed watching Michael C. Hall that I went back and watched the first episode of Six Feet Under, one of my favourites from a few years back. It was interesting to see him in that role again, after getting to know him as Dexter. Thanks, Sandy. Good to hear from you again. Uh, yes, indeed, I am enjoying the psychology of Dexter, as I've mentioned, and uh, I shall be probably, most probably going into more detail about the book in due course. Michael C. Hall in Six Feet Under. I've watched the pilot of Six Feet Under, but I've just not, I've got so many shows on the go, and I'll come to that in a sec. Um, I've got so many shows on the go that I just don't have time to watch everything. So, But Six Feet Under is definitely one that I will watch. Uh, it's just kind of in the back pocket, waiting to, uh, to be brought out again. Um, hopefully not before too long. But what was interesting from the pilot of, of Six Feet Under, and I don't know if... I don't think this is a spoiler, but Michael C. Hall's character, if uh, you haven't, if listeners haven't watched the show, his character is gay, and his boyfriend in the pilot is the spitting image of Dokes. And obviously, having watched Dokes, uh, sorry, watched Dexter, it was it was quite unnerving to see um, Dexter, <laughs> Dexter, Michael C. Hall's character in Six Feet Under, getting all. Uh, getting all close to um, a dope's lookalike it was um it was quite funny and kind of t- took took away the um just took me out of the show a bit finally i had a tweet and i can't remember um who it was that asked me now asked me about some of the other tv shows that i'm watching at the moment um there are loads of different shows that i love and i'm a fan of but of those that are actually that i'm actually watching at the moment i'm watching fringe uh, Spartacus Gods of the Arena Californication is another good one uh, that's really funny in fact this season is uh, I'm, I'm getting I'm laughing out loud more this season uh, than I probably have previous seasons so um, that's a good sign I'm also watching a new show called Lights Out which is about um, a retired boxer heavyweight boxer uh, that's really good uh, I also, I hate to say it, I'm still watching Glee. It's a real up and down show for me. Sometimes I wonder why I'm still bothering with it. Uh, and other times it's actually a lot of fun. Um, it, it's just a light-hearted show that, um, it's just a change from some of the uh, cop shows that I watch and some of the darker stuff that I, I tend to enjoy a bit more. I also like Modern Family. I'm watching Community. I've just started Community from season one, so I'm catching up, uh, but I'm enjoying that. And I'm also, um, I've just started watching Justified, going back and watching season one. Season two's just started airing, and um, I'm catching up on that, and I'm enjoying that. (laughs) 
next time on Dissecting Dexter. The next episode, episode 9, is called Father Knows Best. Now, obviously, we've just discovered that Rudy is the ice truck killer, but no one in the show knows this yet, so it'll be interesting to see if anyone starts to twig or have their suspicions aroused. But if he's anything like Dexter, and let's face it, so far they seem to have some great similarities, both being able to put up a facade of normality and blend in. Both find it easy to lie in order to maintain their cover, although Rudy certainly differs in the bedroom department. He had no problem at all with giving Deb a good time in the sack. Seeing as he was working on another body at the end of this episode, though, it would be fair assumption that the body will be discovered somewhere next week, or if not, very soon after. And won't that be a relief for Dexter? He's been getting twitchy that maybe his new friend had left him. Of course, we also know that there's an email waiting for him, so maybe he'll relax a bit after that. Uh, It's become uh, traditional that I read out the synopsis of the next episode. I've taken this from imdb.com, and it's a little bit detailed, so if you've not seen episode 9, Father Knows Best yet, you may want to skip forward just a minute just to avoid me uh, hearing me read this out. Here we go. Dexter learns that his biological father, named Joe Driscoll, whom he was told had died 30 years ago, has recently just died and left him everything he owned, and not 30 years ago, including his house. Dexter goes on a trip to pack the items in the house, along with Rita. But later, Deborah and Rudy also show up at the house to help out, where Dexter clicks with Rudy. While suspecting something strange about Joe Driscoll's death and about who Dexter's biological mother was. Flashbacks to Dexter's childhood show him questioning Harry about who his real parents were, and about an accident which an anonymous person donated some of his blood to help the young Dexter during his surgery, and it happened to be Mr Driscoll. Back in Miami, Angel questions a shooting incident involving Dokes and a suspect. Also, Paul begins to slide back into his old habits when he suspects Rita is keeping him away from unsupervised visits to their children. So, with this latest episode being strong again, and so full of steady plot progression, can they maintain this standard for the remaining four episodes? We're still at the stage where we don't know Dexter very well. He does seem much closer to being a straight psychopath than I remember, I must admit. He's been panicking about getting much closer to Rita. His feelings seem... They seem pretty superficial towards her. She seems to very much just provide a cover for him, but with the revelation this week, Dexter admitting he's accepting who he is and taking that leap into intimacy, maybe he'll further embrace that, realising it can have its rewards, but also help maintain his cover most importantly. I say most importantly because... That's what he's been taught is of great importance. We've we've already questioned Harry's teachings as well as, well, as well-meaning as they might have been. And I'm sure as time goes on, we'll do this all the more. Don't follow me. Follow the podcast. Get on Twitter and follow at Dissect Dexter. So we're drawing towards the end of another podcast. And yet again, it feels like I've recapped in too much detail. 
but it doesn't seem like I can help it. When there's so much good stuff happening, it seems remiss of me not to mention it. But from your feedback, it sounds like it's not really bothering anyone. So it's probably just my own paranoia that makes me feel like I get too detailed. But I must I must say that I'm still really enjoying this rewatch. I'm rewatching these for the first time since they originally aired, and from what you tell me, we're all picking up on things we missed first time round. It's obviously a show that deserves watching again, and rewards the repeat viewer. Which is good for us, and the podcast, of course. Oh yeah, sorry, before I go... A quick thank you to some iTunes reviewers that I've spotted. Matthew Battles, I'm Not An Addict, Dominique Maynon, and Little Lisi. Uh, Little Lisi in particular. Uh, if anyone reads that review, <laughs> I think they'll think... Um, they may think I've put you up to it. It was such a lovely review. Thanks very much. Uh, and also thanks to uh, Zane in France. I think I've pronounced that right. Z-H-A-E-N. Who... Um, gives an interesting critique of the podcast uh says something along the lines of great podcast for dexter fans but uh, they query the depth of analysis and the amount of detail in the recaps uh so yeah as i say i am very conscious of going into too much detail in the recap i i have to find a balance and uh, Zane mentioned that he or she watches the episode before listening to the podcast. So obviously if you do that and it's fresh in your mind, I'm going to be going over a lot of stuff that's that you know very well that you've just watched. So uh, I guess the recap slash review could, could drag on a bit. But um, I don't know, there may be a lot of listeners who haven't seen these episodes for a long time and just enjoy listening to the podcast and kind of get their rewatch from listening to my recap perhaps yeah I've, I've got to try and cater for everybody so I, I take your comments on board I mean there's a podcast I listening I listen to called reopening the x-files it's hosted by Donald who appeared on this show back in September with Heath and um, I just enjoy listening to his review of the of the old x-files episodes and uh, he's talking about episodes I've not seen in several years uh, but it's nice because I can picture the episodes uh, and, and it all comes back to me and it's interesting to hear someone's take on it. And that's kind of what I'm aiming for here. Um, so apologies if I do go into too much detail, but it's it's difficult trying to just strike that. Just strike that right. Just just strike the right balance. That's the phrase. <laughs> My brain froze for a moment. Um, but I, I very much appreciate the review and, and the, the comments. I, I, I take it all on board. Thanks, Zane. Okay, uh, now while I'm talking about feedback, I, I must just say again how much I appreciate all the continued feedback. I'm constantly blown away by the response to the show. It's pretty much all been positive. And I'm so grateful to everyone who contacts me and also to those who just download and listen because the download numbers are also great encouragement. I never thought I'd get this sort of response and quite frankly I'm really humbled by it. <laughs> I'm sorry if I keep repeating myself by saying thanks like this, but as long as the feedback keeps coming, I keep being bowled over and I feel like I should acknowledge it. But I'll stop gushing and leave it there for today. 
another great episode of Dexter rewatched and reviewed. I hope to get another one done in a couple of weeks, and I will announce on Twitter when I start preparing, so if you want to send in any comments on the upcoming episode 9, Father Knows Best, then you could maybe use that tweet as your cue, if you like. In the meantime, thanks again for listening and for all your feedback, and I'll be back soon, and we'll dissect some more Dexter together. Take care, guys. Cheers. Cheers.